that customized, individualized content is irreplaceable, invaluable. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Pudua, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. As we take a break from recording, we have chosen to replace several of our greatest hits for you to enjoy. We hope that you are able to gain insight for your educational journey. So Andrew, today we are going to be talking about a concept that is probably not new, but it's getting a lot of attention today, and that's individualized learning. Individualized learning, as in people learn individually, (laughs) or they learn about other individuals, or they get kind of a customized program. Probably not learning about other individuals. (laughs) (laughs) That's always good, though. Yes, it is. It is. It's called people skills. Ah. And we all need that, right? Learning people skills, but no. (laughs) We we need a structure and style people skills course, right? (laughs) Hmm, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) No, but today I'd like to have a conversation with you about individualized learning type programs and As I was doing a little bit of just pulling up some data on the website, one of the hits that I got was IEP, an Individualized Education Program. Or plan. Or plan, right. And that is actually something that a school will create for a student in a special needs program. Yes, and it's very time-consuming for the Mm -hmm. teachers who have to do it as well. Yes, because they have to document all the progress. And, of course, we've talked in the past about the whole idea of differentiated instruction as also being kind of buzzwords that are applied to the special needs world. Mm -hmm. But we're talking much more generally today, right? Yes, yes. So the way we teach writing lends itself very well to a... Individualized learning program. Yeah, content and pacing. Right, exactly. So as you encounter teachers and homeschooling parents mm-hmm. and questions come to you about individualized learning, what are some of those questions that you might get? Well, I don't know that anyone's ever pulled that term <laughs> out on me, except for you very recently. Right. But I do talk about it in terms of the mastery learning approach and also in terms of motivation. Mm. So what we see, of course, in the homeschool world is parents have generally a lot more freedom to choose content that is hopefully going to be interesting, applicable. We have the variety of theme-based writing lessons specifically so that parents have choices. They don't have to make it all up on their own. And they can choose, for example, if they have a, a boy who loves inventions and explorers, something like All Things Fun and Fascinating. So that writing becomes not just a subject unto itself for its own purposes, but that it's a way to learn what you're interested in, what you're going to study even better. Mm -hmm. That's something I think that is also very possible for teachers. There are these terms that go around. Some people might call them buzzwords or trendy words. 
things like differentiated instruction, as I mentioned. The other one that's been around for a long time is, of course, writing across the curriculum. Right. Mm -hmm. And boy, I think 10 years ago when you got together with IEW here, Mm -hmm. that was something that was being talked about in the education department Mm -hmm. at Biola University. I don't know that anyone other than us has figured out how to do that well, but it's a great idea. Why not? If you are in the home school, then you can also take that even further and customize to the specific interests. So if you had a teenager who loves sailing boats, for example, then you could find a lot of information and stories and literature and research project stuff about boats and sailing and everything having to do with that. And so that would be very motivating Mm -hmm. to a student, whereas having, you know, a book of random prompts or assignments, maybe some of them might be engaging, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's distasteful to be having to write about stuff you really don't care or have much interest in. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying it isn't good to be able to do the latter, because often people go off to colleges or universities where they are required to write about stuff that they don't have any particular interest in. But in terms of motivating, especially a younger student, to do their best and really work on crafting the best possible piece of writing and thereby gaining the best possible skills, that customized, individualized content is just irreplaceable, really invaluable. So individualized learning, by definition, is a method of teaching in which content, instructional technology, and pace of learning are based on the abilities and interests of each learner. So you exactly nailed the content of that student. They might be interested in that. So tell me, how would a a school teacher be able to address something like that? Well, it's a little bit harder, of course, Mm -hmm. because he or she has a couple dozen or more students and being able to find source material for a couple dozen particular areas of interest, that's going to be too much work and, and not realistic. I do think that there are some basic ideas that could be followed. One is to integrate it with what you're reading and talking about in a content area like mm-hmm. history or science, because familiarity actually breeds a liking of things. The yes. more you know about a certain period of history, the more you are likely to enjoy reading and talking and writing about that. Mm-hmm. So that writing across the curriculum or writing, maybe we need to change the thing because it's lost its mm. oomph, but writing within the content areas or something, I think is uh, very, very important. That way writing isn't a separate subject. And you don't fall into the trap of everybody write whatever they carry around in their brain and you're back at score zero with the kids who have the blank brain, blank paper. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to write. I can't think of anything. So because our approach is based on starting with content, then for a teacher in a classroom, That, I think, is the best way to do it. You can also see some trends and do some options. I teach a class here. Mm -hmm. We have that following Narnia writing lesson set. And so I I tried that out a couple years ago with a group of kids. And 
honestly, this little assignment about flowers. <laughs> and I could just tell some of the guys in my class weren't going to be particularly thrilled writing about peonies or poppies or whatever. Although poppies could be interesting just from the <laughs> drug side, but whatever was involved. And I thought, okay, I've got to come up with an alternative source text here. So I went and got the pitcher plant, which is the largest carnivorous plant on the planet. <laughs> and I, got, I, I created a, an alternate source text. So while the lesson plan said we're going to do daisies or flowers or whatever, I don't even remember, I said, now, guys, if you would prefer, I have this carnivorous plant that can actually eat whole large rodents and dissolve them and <laughs> suck their nutrients from that. And of course, most of the guys chose that. So within a class, you may have lessons that are laid out, but you could have alternative source text as an option for kids who would maybe find the prescribed one to be a little less than mm -hmm. engaging. So that would be one thing. And then, of course, as you move further in our units, it naturally becomes more individual, the writing. So you get past your unit one, two, three, four, you get into the pictures. Now you can have a set of pictures and anybody can imagine anything pretty much so going on So it's the same set that. of pictures, but kids will come up with different stories based on those pictures. Oh, sure. I mean... Take, for example, the chick pecking the hose, mm -hmm. which is our classic, classic example from the TWSS. I've seen everything from Miss Chick and Mr. Worm were courting and <laughs> made the whole thing into a love story. I've also seen a boy who said there's a mad scientist who lives in the house and the hose is filled with nitroglycerin. And when the chick pecks through, it's going to blow up the whole block. Look at the extremes there. Right. Neither of them would be things I personally could think of because I'm not very creative. I'm more <laughs> limited and looking for the, the practical side. But children often have a much freer approach to pictures. So, yes, you can use the same set of pictures and get wildly different stories. And then, of course, as you get into Unit 6... The research, once you've modeled the thing mm -hmm. with some mini books or some prescribed lessons, then it's okay. Go find your own person. Go find your own event. Go find your own thing to research. Right. Before we go leave that particular subject, I really think it would be helpful to our listeners for you to tell the Paso story. It's a good example, though, of why doing something together is the preparation for letting them do something on their own and make their own choices. But exactly. yes, Pasco, Washington is a school district that I worked with for many years. I think I trained every one of their elementary teachers several times. I visited every one of their schools. And this one teacher, very gung-ho, was excited about my next visit and had said, would you please, please come and do a demonstration class in my classroom because we're really having a tough time with Unit 6. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I love that. I love specific problems and specific things to accomplish. And, and you love Unit 6. And I, I love Unit 6. <laughs> and I love teachers who make it to Unit 6. <laughs> <laughs> the demographic in Pasco is a very high, transient Hispanic population. Large percentage of their students are in Spanish-English transition classes, fairly low 
literacy levels in the homes. And, and so it's a difficult teaching environment. Mm-hmm. But in any case, I went in and I found a lovely class with mostly Hispanic kids. And they were all supposed to be doing a, a Unit 6 research project on a president. And they'd been at this several weeks. So individualized, <laughs> individual learning. <laughs> well, I'm assuming that they were in U.S. history that year. Sure. And what had happened, though, is she had explained how it's all going to go and then given everybody the option to choose mm-hmm. a president that they wanted to research. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what you're talking about. Maybe they picked at random. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how that was decided. But Mm -hmm. what I do know is there are about 25 kids, all of whom were working on a different president, and all of whom had a little pile of books that most of them just weren't able to read. Mm -hmm. They were just too much information or written at a reading level above their English skills. So the poor teacher was kind of in that case of, okay, explained it to everybody, nobody really knows what to do, and now I have to run around and try to help 26 kids all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was frustrating, because if the kids don't know what to do, they just sit there and do nothing, Mm -hmm. and the teacher can't be with everyone all at the same time. And of course, one of the great problems of presidents is that they're all very different. It isn't as though the topics run in parallel, particular, because some had interesting or important childhoods that you would want to comment or say something about. Others, very little information. Some were assassinated, others not. Some had other jobs before they were president that would be of interest. Some had monumental things happen during their presidencies, and others didn't. So Mm -hmm. you can't really run the topics in parallel the way you could, say, if everybody was doing like a different bird Mm -hmm. or something, Mm -hmm. you know. So I talked to her and I said, okay, you'll get through this and that's okay. But next year, here's what I recommend. You get one president that you want to do with them. Find or create source texts that are at or below the reading level. You find the text. Copy off or print out those source texts so that everyone has the same set of research materials and do it together. Choose one topic on one president, go through the source outlines, create the fused outline, and you know at that point you're probably okay, but you could even write the paragraph together if you want to take it that far. Then you have all that material, find another topic on that same president, do the source outlines together, and let them try the fused outline idea on their own and write it out. You should be fine. And then You've got the same materials, same president. You know it's basically they're familiar with it. Do a third topic that is you know is kind of guaranteed to work, and then let them try that whole process, source outlines, fused outline, write it up, so that you've now got three topics all on the same president. And yeah, it's all going to be very similar, mm-hmm. right? And that's okay because we're not looking at the product. We're looking at teaching a process. Right, which we did a great podcast on that, I will mention. Yes, yes. And uh, so then I said, okay, then, after you've done that, if you have any time or energy left over, then suggest they could go find their own president Mm -hmm. and replicate that process. But it's going to depend on how much time you've got. And by the way, save those three paragraphs so that when you hit unit eight, they can pull those right out 
and you can teach the conclusion and introduction for the Unit 8 model mm -hmm. with body paragraphs that are already there and kind of guaranteed to work. Which And what I love about that is it's that motivating thing that you were talking about earlier where every child, regardless of their ability, has success because they're doing it together as a group, but then the top students that are able to filter off can now seek their own content and, and feel good about what they're able to do because they know how to do it. Yes, and depending on the dynamic in that classroom, the teacher might say to some of the students, okay, looks like you've got the hang of it. Go get your own president, get your own books. Mm -hmm. And with the rest of you over here, mm -hmm. let's do a different president together again. And we can almost never err on the side of too much modeling mm -hmm. when it comes to teaching a skill because, you know, it reaffirms and reassures people, the students that are learning, yes, that's what you do. Okay, oh, I do it again. Okay, we're doing it again. I'm really starting to understand this. And now I've got the hang of it. And they'll tell you, generally, when they want their independence, they'll say, okay, teacher, right. okay, mom, I got it. Leave me alone. Right. Let me do this. And then, of course, you can be on hand to help as needed. So the Pasco story, I think, is very instructive. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit counter the way a lot of people think that, oh, no, the students have to all do something different. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they get bored. But like you said, uh, first teach, then comes motivation, then comes independence and success. Right. So we talked about customizing the content based on the student's interests. What about customizing the content based on the student's ability? Well, same thing. You could have different levels of source text. When you look at the organization of a structure and style lesson, mm -hmm. there's three components. Okay. The unit you're in, the source text that you use, or pictures or subject matter, mm -hmm. and then the speed of the checklist, mm -hmm. the style checklist. Right. Everything else is simply comfort for teachers and parents who are trying to do that. But mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the skeleton of the thing, the unit, the source text, and the checklist. So you'll keep the students always in the same unit when you're teaching a group. Yes, you keep the students in the same unit because that's how you do the modeling, and that's the poster on the wall, and that gives clarity and focus to everyone. And of course, we've talked in the past about how moving through the units is important so people don't get bogged down or bored. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have mastered the unit mm -hmm. to move on to the next unit. And this is, I think, particularly important for people with young children or kids who are going to take longer to get the hang of it or classrooms, right? Yeah, you don't have to master it because you're going to cycle through those units again next year. Next year and the and year after, yeah. yeah. So it's okay to go on to Unit 4 even if everyone doesn't perfectly understand the story sequence chart and how to do that independently. It's not a cumulative skill. Unit mm -hmm. 4 is a different model, and you're going to imitate and follow a different model, mm -hmm. and there's different rules. And again, you don't have to have Unit 4 perfect to go to Unit 5 either. But you do have to know which unit model you're in. Yes. Then, of course, the source text can be variable. And as I've said, I don't know for the many, many thousandth <laughs> time in my life, source text should be at or preferably below 
the reading level of the student. Right. You don't want too long of sentences, too many difficult, obscure words or ideas that aren't going to be immediately manageable by the student. So if you did have a class with some students who needed a simpler source text, then you could theoretically have two or three source texts at different reading levels about the same thing. Right. That's going to be a little more work. Yes, and actually, we've you've recommended this for years, as you said, at or below their reading level. I've heard that just as many times as you said it, or probably not, because you've <laughs> talked to that so many times. But we, in the interest of not withholding help to teachers, we have just started creating alternative source texts so that they're easier. So we might have some source texts in the theme-based book for U.S. history. Mm-hmm. And we are now working on creating easier source text based on the same ideas, based on the same concepts, but they're easier. Of course, not for Unit 5, because that's still pictures. So right. Don't have right. to go any easier with Unit 5. Right. But, you know, if, especially if you have a, a mixed age group, mm-hmm. as do a lot of co-ops or mm-hmm. hybrid school situations, mm-hmm. or you have a home, or even even a classroom where everyone's approximately the same age, right. there's some kids who are going to do better with a shorter, simpler, larger font mm-hmm. source text than the one that we provide in the lesson plans and whatnot. Exactly. So, yeah, so you can do that. That way you have the same conversation, and the word brainstorming mm-hmm. is going to be very similar. So you, you can have everybody discussing the same content in preparation for writing about it, but the actual keyword outline may vary and be a little simpler. Mm-hmm. And I would mention, for a lot of people may or may not know this, but if you're teaching and you have a source text in an electronic format and you want to find out what grade level it is, you can run it through Microsoft Word's Grammar Checker. Mm-hmm. And if you have readability statistics clicked, yes, then at the end it will tell you what's the Flesh Kincaid grade level and the some other information mm-hmm. about readability. So that's exactly what we're doing is mm-hmm. taking some source text and trying to drop them a couple grade levels mm-hmm. in that score. It's not perfect. And of course, sometimes just names and places <laughs> will... Massachusetts automatically kicks it up to sixth grade <laughs> yeah, reading level. <laughs> probably so. Then, of course, there's the style mm-hmm. techniques. Now, as we've talked about many times, these are different than the structural models because they are cumulative. Mm-hmm. You don't do some and then stop doing some and do something different. You do a style technique and you do it till it's easy, the easy plus one rule, and then you add another one and do that until it's easy, and you add another one and you do that till it's easy so that it's taking you, depending on age or aptitude, weeks, months, or years Mm -hmm. to build the full style checklist. And every child is going to be a little bit different. Yeah, it's exactly the opposite of what we do to our new customer service staff here. (laughs) We make them do the whole course and yes, do the whole do. checklist in a very short period <laughs> yes, of time. We do. But then they gain empathy and understand <laughs> why moms shouldn't do that to their kids and mm-hmm. teachers shouldn't do it to their students. But the uh, the great part about that uh, style checklist is that it is pretty easy to customize it. Yes. To say, okay, go over to one of your top students and say, I don't think everybody's ready for this. Mm -hmm. But I want to show you the next dress up or Mm -hmm. the next sentence open or something so you can try it. And let me know if you have any questions. Here's how you do it. 
But, you know, they're a top student. They have an aptitude for it. They may have done it accidentally anyway. And so now they've got a secret thing they can play with. Yep. And that is motivating to them. You can also go to some students and say, you know what, I think I think you're you're okay right where you are right now. And although I put it up on the wall or it's in the style checklist, let's just have you work with the three you know mm-hmm. and not add this fourth one yet mm-hmm. until it's really easy. And and you can even kick it back on the students and say, You tell me when doing these three things is is easy for mm-hmm. you. So you can, depending on how skilled and how energetic of a teacher you might be, you can have three or more subgroups within your class. So your source text may be the same, but the style checklist can be adjusted for each one. Exactly. And people who have a uh, premium subscription to our website will actually have access to be able to go and click whatever techniques or number of paragraphs or rules they want to follow. Click that, and it'll generate a a beautiful-looking PDF with just the things they want. I tell you, when I saw the way we've got that set up, it's been a dream of mine for a Mm -hmm. long time. I'm thinking, well, technology should do this. Mm -hmm. When I saw it, I thought, man, I'd pay (laughs) a yearly amount to have that thing because how much time have I spent Mm -hmm. messing with little boxes and lines on Microsoft Word and oh gosh so I think this is going to be a a particular blessing to many teachers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially when they want to have a complete nice looking formal checklist for students at different levels right in the homeschool of course we see the same thing you're just more likely to have an age difference between the kids Mm -hmm. so if you you have a eighth grader and a sixth grader and a third grader you could theoretically teach them together Mm -hmm. use the same source text help the third grader as much as possible and then give each of them a style checklist following what's easy for them plus one new thing right Our very first theme-based writing lesson book was Bible-based writing lessons. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I wrote that with Dr. Webster, we had the idea that uh, the Bible doesn't really have a reading level, Mm. per se, because nobody says, oh, this is too hard, you shouldn't try to read it, or oh, this is too easy, don't bother. Mm -hmm. We did put in different translations. Which which does make the reading level harder. Mm -hmm. King James is harder to read than... Some of the easier translations. Probably. Yes. Yeah. But what we did there is we had three different speeds of checklist growth. Right. And that was actually the beginning of our ABC thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Was A was a slower development of checklist, mm-hmm. B was a medium, and a C was a fast. Mm-hmm. So we've had that one since the beginning. And I think as a model for adjusting, individualizing within a group, that's a, that's a good, good book to have. So you have a you have a conference talk, and I just want to end with this, and I want you just not to give the whole conference talk because we are almost out of time, but the name of the conference talk is Mastery Learning, Ability Development, and Individualized Education. Wow, that is a long title. Can you please tell me about the individualized education portion of that talk and what are some of the things that you mentioned? Well, it's essentially the idea that in a skills development content area. Like writing. Like writing. Math would be the other one. Mm -hmm. Foreign language might fall in that category. Possibly art, playing a musical instrument. Mm -hmm. 
it's cumulative. And so you have to have mastery at one level in order to have success at the next level. Mm -hmm. So if you don't really have mastery of your multiplication and division facts, you're going to really struggle with fractions. That's just the way it is. And so the idea that you want mastery and that that pacing for mastery will vary from person to person. So some people will learn their math facts Mm -hmm. faster than others. Some people will understand the process of a math operation sooner with less repetition. Other people need more. Mm -hmm. And that's true for spelling. It's true for writing. It's true for playing a musical instrument. If all four of us in this room started playing the cello, (laughs) right? Some of us would go a little faster through the repertoire and gain mastery and sound better sooner than others of us. And those of us who have never picked up a stringed instrument except to hand it to a child would be the one that didn't go very fast. Very possibly, but you never know. However, what we do know is that our rate of progress Mm -hmm. would vary based on all sorts of factors, experience, environment, age, aptitude, interest level, Mm -hmm. right? And, And slow is not worse. Fast is not better than slow. It's just different. Mm -hmm. What would be a mistake, however, is to say everyone play this piece for one week and now everyone play the next piece for one week and everyone play the next piece for one week and everybody practice exactly the same amount and it wouldn't take very long before the disparity in aptitude showed that some of us were failing to keep up. Mm -hmm. Or if that process were going too slow, then others would become bored and frustrated because they're not being engaged, challenged at the point of interest and need. So when we look at subjects that are cumulative, like math, in an ideal scenario, everyone could be working at their own individualized speed Mm -hmm. so that they would get the right amount of repetition to be successful at the next level and not too much repetition to start to get bored and hate the thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's the basic idea. And I think, you know, we understand teachers have a lot of limitations. And sometimes the way you do it is you march everybody through mm-hmm. the book at the pace determined by the powers that be. But I think the good teachers are always trying to figure out, okay, how do we give people who need more help, more help, more repetition, more practice without being unduly burdensome? And how do we keep those kids who are ready for the next thing challenged so they don't get bored? Mm -hmm. But teaching a skill like math or writing, trying to have everybody do everything in the same way according to the same schedule, it's never going to work. In our system, I like to think, lends itself to helping as much as possible in this differentiated instruction. And it's just a joy and honor to be able to work with you on that. Well, and it's a great tradition. I mean, who do we learn from? Mrs. Ingham. That's right. Teach at the point of need. Exactly. Every child can do it. It just might happen at a different speed. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or you can visit us each week at iew.com slash podcast. 
New recordings will begin airing in January of 2020. Until then, we hope you'll join us each week as we revisit our greatest hits.